Welcome, everyone, to the Food, Farms, and Chefs radio show with restaurant industry author Kevin Wilson, highly acclaimed chef Gene Blum, and food photojournalist Amaris Pollock. Join them as they interview the biggest names in the restaurant industry, tell you about the latest food trends, and give you recipes and cooking tips too. So let's get the show started. Welcome to our listeners around the world via the podcast, our listeners on our FM station in New York, and our listeners on our two Philadelphia radio stations. It's Tuesday evening drive time for you. We have an exciting lineup where we'll hear from Alex Chang of the Philadelphia Whiskey Society. Then we'll hear from executive chef and co-owner of Ember and Ash, Scott Calhoun. And lastly, we'll hear from our very own Gene Blum and myself for our Christmas installment of Where We're Eating. Chef Gene, take it away. It is such a great honor to welcome Alex Chang. A certified whiskey educator, uh, connoisseur of all things brown liquor, and a whiskey ambassador. Uh, Alex is the founder of Philadelphia Whiskey Society, which is, I am a member of an incredible organization. It's all about education and camaraderie and bourbon, whiskey, and scotch. Alex, welcome to Food Farms and Chefs. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Alex, Thank you for joining you us. have an incredible Absolutely. background in education of you know, whiskeys and scotches and bourbons. You are a whiskey educator, certified whiskey educator, as well as a whiskey ambassador. Tell us a little bit about how you got started and what those titles mean and, and how you go about getting them. Wow. Well, you know, I think we only have uh, 20-some minutes, so <laughs> I don't know if I can give you the whole story, but I'll, I'll try to give you a, a very concise answer. But, um, uh, well, I've always been a fan of whiskey ever since, you know, college, and uh, everybody else was drinking Smirnoff vodka and Sky vodka and all the, you know, tequila, Patron, and stuff like that. Um, I was drinking whiskey. I mean, the whiskey I was drinking back then wasn't as uh, nice as I am drinking now. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I've always been a fan of whiskey. And as we probably all know and have seen, whiskey just, you know, it's gone nuts. It's, you know, everybody's going crazy about whiskey and bourbon. And, you know, people probably heard of Buffalo Trace and like Pappy and this and that. And, you know, bottles now costing thousands and thousands of dollars. But um, I got I got pretty serious into the whole whiskey scene and uh, educating myself back in 2015, uh, 2006. At the time, I felt whiskey was already booming. But you know, now in 2021, going into 2022, it's it's gone even not more nuts. I feel. But um, since I've always loved whiskey and people around me started kind of liking whiskey and whatnot, and since 2016, I just started to plan events and tastings, and I like to bring people together and getting educated. And as I did, did these events, people asked me questions, and at the time, I was like, oh, I don't really know. And I would go and Google and look up all these things and 
and I found different courses, and I've taken literally about a dozen different uh, whiskey and spirits-related educational courses uh, over the years, uh, in the last you know five six years, and uh, now uh, I'm I'm spreading that knowledge through the Philadelphia Whiskey Society. So the Philadelphia Whiskey Society, which is just such a wonderful group of people who come together for the mutual love of whiskey. But, yeah. you know, you do so much more in founding that. I mean, obviously there are a lot of classes. They were virtual during COVID. People were doing, you know, online tasting <clears throat> together. But you also yeah. do a lot of things like, you know, barrel production. So where your members have access to a single barrel that is bottled just for the Whiskey Society and distributed yeah. and we can purchase that. You know, tell us a little bit about some of those wonderful things that, you know, the Philadelphia Whiskey Society is doing. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, thank you, Gene, for being such a, you know, big support of the society. Um, and we used to do all in-person events. I mean, Zoom events online. And I think just, you know, you know, uh, came about of necessity, right? Um, and so it also actually, in interestingly enough, helped us grow quite a bit because when everything was locked down and obviously we weren't doing in-person tastings and classes and workshops and things like that, we moved everything on to, uh, on Zoom. And as, as a result of that, we actually were able to reach out to people all over the area and all over the country. I mean, we have members in Texas and, you know, Chicago and Arizona, different states and whatnot. Um, they can all tune in on Zoom and uh, from the comfort and safety of their own home and, you know, uh, taste along with us and learn. And um, um, aside from that, I mean, we, 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 we do a lot of events, and I think there was another part of your question, Gene. What was the second part of that question? About some of the private barrels and some of the oh, the bar private barrels. Members. Yeah, and then so you know these days, uh, just because of this this huge growth in the whiskey world, people more and more are doing their own private barrel picks, or people call them store picks, barrel picks, cast selections, whatnot, right? And because a lot of uh, a lot of whiskey nowadays is really hard to come by, a lot of people go and pick their own and try to find quote unquote what we call the honey barrel, right? So, um, as as the head of the society, I would approach you know either a restaurant or like a liquor store or whatnot, and um, I would I would speak to them about doing a barrel pick. And then they would get samples from the distillery. In this case, let's say, you know, uh, Suntory, Beam Suntory, or with Knob Creek, or with Heaven Hill, or or Wilderness Trail, or so many, so many, so many distilleries, right? And they would give us samples, and we would set up a panel of members as well as myself to pick something we thought was above par, right? It was something that was was definitely tasty and, and, and a great value, right? And if we chose something like that and we liked it, then we would buy the entire cask. So it may be 100 or 200 some uh, uh, um, bottles, uh, and we would divvy that amongst our members, 
Yeah, and members will get to try single cask or single barrel. A lot of times it's barrel proof, which is unadulterated without adding any water. So you're getting this, you know, the the, the whiskey in its purest form, if you will. <laughs> and it's a it's a and it's a it's a, something very neat, and and members really enjoy that because. You know, there's so many whiskeys out there. You know, sometimes people have buyer's remorse buying something that they don't really necessarily like. But if they trust in, let's say, my palate and the palate of others within the group, then most likely they're going to, you know, enjoy what we pick. Well, I know I own, I think, five barrels, <laughs> bottles here. The hardest thing for oh, me yeah. Actually, to drink them because they're like collector's items in, in a yeah. Sense. Well, yeah. You know what? It's funny because uh, we also do the the our own private uh, labels as well, right? So right, the first um, COVID killer. What appropriate? With yeah, a, a picture of Rocky <laughs> and the COVID virus. It was purely Philadelphia. I mean, it was the Philadelphia whiskey scene to the utmost with Rocky and COVID and. You know that that bottle I, I have tapped into, but it's like I don't want to drink it all because it really is a showpiece <laughs> on my bourbon bar. Yeah, and you can well, you can always always use it as a, a decanter, of course. You can buy another, you can buy another Woodford Double uh, Oak, and then put it in that bottle. You know. <laughs> yes, yes, I could do that. Yeah. So the private labels, you know, is just you know what is kind of like a new trend in the whiskey scene these days, right? Um, you have a lot of groups, whatnot, even stores themselves will make custom, you know, art pieces or custom labels with uh, um, a unique art. And in our case, in the case of the Philadelphia Study, we try to come up with Philadelphia-centric, um, you know, themes and whatnot, like using Rocky to knock out a COVID virus or, you know, um, parking authority was you, one, I think. Yeah, the, the the parking authority was one. Bad things happening in Philly with the parking authority, and um, even cheesesteak rumble, which is a you know royal rumble of different cheesesteaks because everybody's you know got their favorites, and people get into fights about what's who makes the best cheesesteaks. Um, so we try to we try to really. Um, uh, show the kind of Philly culture and, you know, make fun labels that people enjoy having on their bar, like you say, like having a bar piece. Yeah. And they, they truly are that. One of the other things yeah. I think it's important to point out is that, you know, membership in the Philadelphia Whiskey Society is extremely reasonable. And yeah. if you are a consumer of whiskeys, you will get back your investment in a month, two <laughs> yeah. months at most, because there are so many places that offer discounts because yeah. you are a card member, card carrying member of the Whiskey Society. I shop at Frank's in Delaware all the time. I get okay, a wonderful yeah, discount every time I go to Frank's and and buy yeah. a product. I get a wonderful discount because I'm a you know, PWS member, and you know so many places in Jersey and and you know in the area now expand it out into other types of businesses as well. People are offering yeah. discounts because of that. So, you know, kudos to you on on really doing a great job at, you know, putting the whiskey society out there to people and, and 
you know, showing people the buying power of an educated, you know, consumer, and and that's what you yeah. do. You, we, you know, the, the whiskey study educates people. So anybody looking for a unique gift, you can go online. You can find the Philadelphia Whiskey Society and get someone who loves whiskey a membership. It's a yearly yeah, membership. And it will pay off immediately, as well yeah, as all the absolutely. classes and everything that you have option to. Yeah, so, I mean, yeah, go ahead. Yep, <laughs> you said it. You said it no, best. I, you said it best. <laughs> yeah, I, I, you know, I can't say enough about the group. So, can you talk to our listeners out there who are just getting into this a little bit of, you know, whiskey background and you know, whiskey, bourbon, scotch, and you know, I think it's important for people to know that you know. All bourbons could be whiskeys, but not all whiskeys are bourbon and, and you know, scotches. And, and what the real difference is between, you know, those three, and then we can, you know, you can get even more finite into rye and other types of products as well, and Japanese whiskey versus American. But really, you know, a, a little bit of demystifying of the, the whiskey world, if you can. Yeah, I guess it's kind of like a whiskey 101, and like you were saying, you know, all bourbon is whiskey, and um, and so whiskey by definition is a essentially a barrel-aged uh, uh, distillate made from grains, okay? So um, it's not made from potatoes or grapes or apples, which would make them, you know, either vodka or brandy or... Uh, or, or et cetera, et cetera, right? Um, whiskey specifically has to be distilled using grain. So essentially they're kind of making a beer, which we all drink, right? And you're making a beer and then you're distilling that beer into a spirit, right? And once that spirit is distilled, then you throw that in the barrel or a cask and you let it age and it becomes whiskey, okay? And, and this, in the, in the uh, case of a bourbon whiskey, it has to be a new charred oak container um, and the law says that it has to be a container it doesn't necessarily have to be a barrel or or a cask it'd be a bucket if, it, if you will um, and it has to be from corn at 51 percent so uh, rye in this in in as, a, as an example is 51 percent used uh, uh, rye grain and corn is 51 percent uh, both bourbon is used 51 percent corn um, and for example uh, scotch whiskey Right is made mostly from, or single malt is made mostly is made from barley malts or malted barley. Um, but Scotch whiskey, like let's say your favorite Johnny Walker or, or or blended whiskey, is also made from other grains as well, right? Which is also called Scotch whiskey. Um, Irish whiskey, the same thing. Um, they use mostly malts, but they can use things like wheat, whatnot. One thing that's unique about Irish whiskey, they use both malted and unmalted barley, right? Uh, and nowadays, there's even rice whiskey or sorghum whiskey, right? So people are using all kinds of grains. Um, you have Buffalo Trace um, using Amram um, to make whiskey, right? And you have distilleries like Koval using Millet to make whiskey, right? And it's all grain, right? So as long as you're using grain, that makes it whiskey, and as long as it's bottled at 40% ABV and up, okay, it's a whiskey. Well, 
one of the the things that has just revolutionized the whiskey world, you know, in the last ten years has become the popularity and the extreme quality of the Japanese whiskey world. Oh, with, right. you know, the master distillers. Can you talk a little bit about, you know, what that's done for you know, the whiskey world and, and how that's you know carried over here to our country? You know, it's it's very interesting with Japanese whiskey. Um, I mean, the Japanese learned whiskey making from the Scots, right? So um, they use mostly um, malted barley as well for their single malts, right? But um, uh, Japanese whiskey, I would say, really kind of started coming up when I got serious about whiskey, which is 2016, 2017, and from there it's just been insanity right uh i mean bourbon also bourbon's been you know you know it's bourbon's also insanity as well um and and japanese whiskey it, you know I, I i did a lot of reading on terms of like what were some things that really kind of propelled japanese whiskey into kind of like the international you know arena right if you if you could oh if people were drinking whiskey five six seven eight years ago ten years ago and they were still also like your Yamazakis, your Hibikis out there, right? But nobody was drinking it. Nobody was drinking it. Same thing with like, you know, Pappy Van Winkle these days, which is, you know, for those of you that don't know, the whiskey is a ridiculously rare and coveted whiskey that sells for thousands of dollars a bottle. Um, but 10 years ago, 15 years ago, 20 years ago, they're just sitting on the shelves, right? For like, you know, 50, 100 bucks. Um, Japanese whiskey, nobody was buying Japanese whiskey. They're sitting on the shelves for like, you know, 30, 40, 50, 60 bucks, right? Now they're hundreds of dollars a bottle, and there's so many different types of Japanese whiskeys these days. Um, but Japanese whiskey, like a lot of different whiskeys, really started getting noticed after they they win like a lot of these international competitions, right? So like you get on this list of the top whiskeys of the world or top 10, top 10 whiskey lists or the whiskey bible or you know the 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 malt whiskey yearbook right so they started winning competitions and there was a movie there's a movie with bill murray if anybody knows that movie it's called lost in translation okay that's a throwback movie yeah so it also had um uh the black widow now i can't remember her name um uh in the marvel movies but it was Bill Murray. Uh, Scarlett Johansson, right? Yeah, yeah. So it was, yeah. it was it was Scarlett Johansson, Bill Murray. The movie was actually about a a famous Bill Murray played a famous uh, actor who was kind of like you know you know getting older and not as popular. But then he went to do some whiskey ads in Japan. So if you recall in that in that movie they were doing ads for Hibiki, which was you know, which is one of the most hottest selling whiskeys these days. And in that movie, he was saying, you know, for relaxing times, make it some Tory times, right? That was like, the, <laughs> <laughs> that was the slogan. <clears throat> but that movie, though, it was a very popular movie. And it was, it, 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 it got people's attention in terms of, hey, what, what is Bill Murray drinking? What is this Japanese whiskey? And, you know, who is, you know, who is behind all this? And that it was one of the catalysts 
to you know kind of like the launch of this this renaissance of of Japanese whiskey and the fact that a lot of these Japanese whiskey started winning you know gold medals and whatnot and people started paying attention to these things well, and lo- and then lo and behold you know here we are we can't we can't find any Yamazaki not, anymore or Hibiki anymore. Not to sidetrack uh, what Gene has has planned out you know as far as what you're going to talk about but like. Um, I am a huge bourbon fan, which yes, all all bourbons yeah. are whiskey. But um, what distinguishes the Japanese whiskey from uh, Americanized whiskey? Because I feel like the whiskeys that I drink that are from here are a lot more rough and have too much of a yeah. bite. Um, yeah. Versus every Japanese whiskey I've tried <laughs> is smooth and it's like I I can drink it neat. Yeah. Well, you know, so whiskey is essentially just like food, right? I mean, the show's about food, um, and the 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 diets of people in that country, right? You know, dictates essentially what people like to eat and drink, right? So mm-hmm. here in the United States, we love our cheesesteak factory. We love our, you know you know, uh, rich desserts and steaks and barbecues and things like that, really like, you know, full body, like robust foods and things like that, right? Super, super sweet, super, you know, salty, you know, whatnot, right? So what are we looking for in a beverage, right? Like we're drinking Mountain Dew, right? We're drinking, you know, like super sweet uh, canned coffees and stuff like that, right? Yeah. You're, You're saying? Oh, I was gonna say I don't drink soda, but only only if right. it's mixed with something. <laughs> right. Yeah. So and then so so we have a spirit, we have a whiskey that is that matches kind of our 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 tastes, right? Which is a kind of bold, rich, you know, American whiskey, and because it uses new charred American oak, if you think of oak casks like tea bags. Right, like if you if you steep a tea bag for the first time in some hot water, that first steep is going to be very, uh, very rich, right? It's going to be the yeah. probably the most flavorful. But if you steep that tea bag again a second time or a third time, whatnot, then it's not going to be as strong, right? Yeah. And so, all you know, bourbon whiskey needs to be first, you know, a new charred American oak, and so. Um, that's going to you're going to extract all those like wood sugars, those those woody notes, the vanillas and whatnot, which are in the cask itself, and into the whiskey, right? And then so once you know your 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 gin beams are done with all those casks, they can't use it again. Again, who do they give those casks to? They give those casks to people in Scotland. They give them casks to uh, people in Japan, right? And then they mm-hmm. use it to to uh, age their whiskey. So, right, you know, you know, right from the start, you're not getting all those, you know, uh, uh, wood sugars and oakiness that you would in the first time you use a cask. And the second time you use a cask, it's going to be much more mellow. And also, people in Japan, you think about the diet of Japanese. You know, a lot of Japanese food, things like sushi, very light, very balanced, right? And so mm-hmm. when the whiskey maker tastes that whiskey, right, he's going to be like, okay, this whiskey is ready because I don't want it to get too oaky, and I'm trying to make a balanced product, 
right? Versus maybe that whiskey maker here in the United States is going to taste that whiskey. He's like, oh, I want more. I want more robust. I want more rich, right? Uh, I want more of those vanillas, whatnot. And then, and then I'm not going to think it's ready until I taste that in the whiskey. And then I'm going to marry maybe hundreds of casks, right? So there's literally, you know, hundreds of thousands of casks uh, in Kentucky and or millions of casks even um, that are just aging there and waiting for the whiskey maker to pluck them and make them into a, you know, a Jim Beam or a Knob Creek and whatnot. And so the whiskey maker is going to dictate what that whiskey is going to taste like. And so, you know, based on taste, based on the cask, you know, based on what the whiskey maker is trying to do, you know, then you have different whiskeys, right? Now, so with all that, be ex- more smooth. Yeah. Go ahead. I was going to say, now with all of that expertise that you have, what would you recommend um, whiskey-wise and bourbon-wise for the holidays coming up? What would be a good gift? <laughs> um, well, you know, so, so we're we're going to go both ways. For the person who's looking to buy a gift for someone that they care for, you know, family member, maybe a new relationship or whatever, if you could give us a couple recommendations there, and tell us what Alex is drinking for the holidays. <laughs> um. You know, so there's a couple of couple of criteria in terms of selecting whiskey. First of all, um, you know, what what is kind of your own flavor profile? Do you like you know rich uh, dessert kind of whiskeys, or do you like something more balanced uh, and not as overtly uh, sweet or or woody, right? So right there, like you said, most Japanese whiskey are going to be quite balanced. They're going to be not as sweet, right? Um, so in terms of categories of whiskey, you know, you could go either Irish whiskey, which is also a little bit lighter. A lot of times it's triple distilled, which makes it a little bit lighter. Japanese whiskeys will be much more all about balance. American whiskey is more about character and, 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 and flavor and whatnot. Um, and so you got to figure out what, what it is that you kind of like. And also you got to figure out what, what's your budget, right? Um, so your everyday budget whiskey, maybe 20 bucks, 30 bucks, whatnot. Um, I hope not. And there's, yeah, I mean, but then there's tons of whiskey that are hundreds if not thousands of dollars. So it's, there's a lot of questions. I mean, if, 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 if I have to choose in terms of like a budget whiskey, I really would like, you know, for maybe something under 20 bucks, I would say, you know, choose anything kind of a bottle and bond, Evan Williams bottle and bond, um, Old Granddad Bottle and Bond, um, you know, these are just really great whiskeys for maybe $15, $25, right, that you can get that you know it's going to be good kind of quality American whiskey, right? If you have something, if you have something, a, a little bit more money, maybe go with something like uh, Maker's 46, uh, a Maker's Private Select, you know, maybe that's 60, 70 bucks, right? Very creamy, very, very uh, sweet and, 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 and very uh, comfortable whiskey. And if you have a little bit extra money and maybe $120, $150, you know, spring for a Yamazaki 12-year or a Hibiki, uh, a regular Hibiki uh, Japanese whiskey, which is maybe around $70. 
um, and or if you're looking to just have have a drink and just take some shots and have some, have a good time, try some Jameson. You know, <laughs> Jameson right, right, is always right. a is a, a trusty old faithful uh, whiskey there, right? Um, and me, I'm I'm probably going to be drinking uh, one of our most recent uh, cast picks, which is the uh, old line poor cast single cast whiskey that that we just uh, picked ourselves, and that one's a 61% ABV, which is like a cast strength. It's 60% alcohol, big bold. It was finished in the poor cast, rich. So I, you know, I think when you're eating like these rich Christmas meals and desserts, you need a, a, a Christmassy kind of jammy whiskey to go along with it. That's the newest one that's available through the Whiskey Society as well. So we don't yeah, know yeah. Escape and, and availability. So Alex, tell us how people can find out more about the Philadelphia Whiskey Society as we close out. How how they can you know follow. And what you're doing in the world, and but really, you know, get involved in the society, and how they can become members. Yeah. Um, well, so uh, if anybody of you guys, if you're on Facebook, you can look us up. Just search Philadelphia Whiskey Society. We have a Facebook page and we have a Facebook group. So uh, everybody's welcome to join the Facebook group. Just make sure you fill out the answer so we know you're not a robot. Um, and join in on the conversation there. And or if you're not on Facebook, you know you can also look us up on phlwhiskey.com, phlwhiskey.com, uh, whiskey with an e. Uh, and over there you can also take a look at our events and what's what was happening. We have a newsletter. We have a great whiskey map that we listed all the great whiskey spots in the tri-state area. Um, and you can also look at uh, and consider our membership there. So, you know, look us, up on, look us up on Facebook or look us up on our website. Alex, thank you so much for joining us today. Again, to our listeners out there, Philadelphia Whiskey Society, as reasonable membership as you're going to get, the best investment you're going to make for yeah. the holidays, I guarantee it. Okay. Best and money I or, your, or your money back. Alex, <laughs> <laughs> thank you for joining us. All right. I appreciate it. Thank you, guys. Happy holidays, Alex. Happy holidays, everyone. Take care. (laughs) You too. Let's take a break, and we'll be right back. To become a sponsor of our show and have your business or event promoted on every single podcast platform, two Philadelphia radio stations on Tuesdays at 6 p.m. evening drive time, an FM station in New York, and to the millions of Facebook users worldwide with access to the Facebook mobile app. Send us an email to either foodfarmsandchefs at yahoo.com or diningonadime at yahoo.com. And we're back. Amorous Pollock, introduce us to your fabulous guest. Hi, I'd like to welcome all of our listeners to Scott Calhoun, who is one of the co-owners and the executive chef of Ember and Ash, which is in East Pashyunk. Welcome to our show. Awesome. Thank you for having me. So you have some exciting news and, and something big to celebrate. Um, why don't you tell us a little bit about what you're celebrating and how you got started? Um, I know that you have quite a history in the culinary world, and, and your alma maters are, like, outstanding. 
So why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and a little bit about Ember and Ash? Cool. Uh, yeah, so Ember and Ash opened, uh, it was actually December 29th of 2020. Um, not, the, not the most ideal time to open a restaurant, but, um, you know, as many people in the business and in understanding small businesses, it, it doesn't just, you know, you don't just open your doors. There's a lot leading up to it. So um, we, we, um, we waited and waited and tried to weather out the storm and, and you get to a point where you say, you know what, it, it doesn't matter. We got to open the doors and we started to go on, on December 29th. Um, we opened for takeout for about a month and then the city kind of eased some restrictions and we went uh, exactly a month later at the end of January into indoor dining. Um, and it was, it's been quite a year, you know, we, we really tried to, um, you know, stick to our guns and push some boundaries and show people the beauties of some of the food that we're trying to do. And, and uh, I think so far we're gaining some pretty good traction and, and, having a lot of fun doing it. It's a, it's a, it's a real challenge for, for Dave and myself to uh, take any of the offcuts or any of the parts of the vegetable that, or parts of the fish that people wouldn't normally think to use and, and turn them into uh, some really interesting and fun articulate uh, uh, plates that, that land in front of the guests. Um, so Ember and Ash, uh, a, a big focus here at the restaurant, um, we have a, a beautiful uh, custom-built eight-foot wood-burning hearth. Uh, it's got a plancha and two elevated grill towers that allow us to cook things at different temperatures and smoke things and char things. And um, really versatile piece of equipment built by uh, Grills by Demand down in Atlanta, Georgia. Um, and we use that to to highlight, you know, a lot of the um, kind of the forgotten ingredients in cooking that are that that you know, a lot of people relied on um, a long time ago to, to you know, to bring the food chain into a full circle. Um, and that's what's important for us is to, to show, uh, you know, the public and, the, and the, the dining guests that come in that, you know, there's a lot of beauty to a lot of things that wind up in the trash. And it's really our mission and our statement to try and be as sustainable as possible to, to limit that waste. And that's, you know, more so than just like, I think people have painted this restaurant into a corner of being like a, it's an opal restaurant. And it's, it's really not, it's so much more than that. And that's what Dave and I really have worked hard to, to show people. I was going to say, cause I've seen some of the, the foods that you, you know, put out and it's, it's eloquent and elevated. Like, you know, I know some people would probably associate like, because your snouts are root, that you know that's one of your sayings your claims to fame yeah, yeah. um yeah you use every single part of everything that goes into your kitchen and i know some people can associate that with almost being rustic but if you look at what you're actually producing it's extremely elevated um and and i was looking at it with envy like i wish that was in front of me right now um <laughs> well, thank you. <laughs> you're welcome so how how are you going to be celebrating your your anniversary? Yeah, so uh, you know it's a couple of days before on the 27th we've decided that it would be a really good idea. It's uh, a few days after Christmas. Um, you know, it's a Monday typically, and especially now in these times, most businesses are closed, right? Nobody, you know, Mondays and Tuesdays are like just not. Everyone's like, you know what? Monday, Tuesday we, we'll do a five day work week. There's a lot of issues still with you know, staffing and, 
and sourcing and purveyors and you know the the shortages and goods and so we we decided that I think what would be really fun is right after Christmas providing and really I, I, we hope that the main focus here is our neighborhoods our neighbors you know the people that that walk by our restaurant every day that stop in and see us and we wanted to give them uh, kind of like a thank you for allowing us to be in this neighborhood and be part of this community uh, for the past year, a place to come on Monday when there's really nowhere else to go. Uh, so from 12 to 5, we're going to do kind of like a a happy hour-esque type of uh, a day, you know, a midday type of thing. People people <laughs> either returning gifts down the avenue or, uh, you know, still shopping those uh, after Christmas deals with all the great <laughs> independent shops down here. Uh, you know, a place to come and, and, you know, grab a drink and get away from the family if you're still gathering and, and, uh, and just have some fun, you know, so we just really, you know, throw out some, a few snacks and, and do some fun, different plates and stuff. We're going to bring some old menu items back, uh, and, and a couple of things to hand out to people when they come in the door. So just kind of a, like a celebration and it's all, you know, being, you know, in this community for a year. Yeah. Now I know that some of the things the the alluded what you alluded to one of the menu items that you're um hinting at at bringing back for that day just specifically for December 27th um mm-hmm. is the the donut the what was it the corn donut with the yeah, beef yeah, fat. Yeah. yeah. Um so yeah, what see, other thing yeah. ahead, I was going to just ask, ask what other things are you know are we going to look forward to that you're you know bringing back or new items that you're going to be bringing to your your menu well i don't want to i don't want to spoil any surprises so we're you know we're working on trying to come up with a few things obviously like uh the way we work with purveyors and farms and, and how closely knit we try to uh source it, it it depends on what we're able to get our hands on but we're, we're just uh maybe one or two other items that were on our opening menu that we're going to uh, try to bring back that day. Uh, but the corn donut is something that um, it's, it's now uh, East coast uh, main uni season again. And we're able to source some, some uh, beautiful sea urchin from uni, uh, uni from Maine. And uh, so we're going to do the donut for one day only just to, to get some people who really love that to come back in. Which is exciting. Um, I know that you're also uh, extending your hours as well, uh, you know, in, not only in celebration of your anniversary, but also, you know, just extending your hours during the holiday season in general is helpful. But, mm-hmm. you know, what what can we look forward to as far as the cocktails are concerned? Because we literally just got off the phone with, you know, Alex Chang, who's the Philadelphia Whiskey Society um, oh, representative. Cool. Yeah, and uh, he was just telling us about all the different whiskeys. You know, are there any warm cocktails that include whiskey on your menu? Yeah, I know that Christian's working on uh, – our beverage manager, Christian, is, is working on a few. Uh, one being like a play on a hot toddy. Um, another, we're going to try and do a play on like a – either like a coquette. The, uh, it's like a, a, a Puerto Rican rum dish, a rum, rum drink, a warm rum drink. Um, so I know that uh, our, we had a really kind of a big fan favorite in our Mexican hot chocolate that we did as a takeout drink uh, in that first month or two while we were open on the weekends we were doing breakfast sandwiches. Um, <clears throat> we we sold quite a bit of the Mexican hot chocolate, and I think we're going to bring that back um, and just have a couple warm offerings uh, to, to add to the menu for the next 
you know, month or so I'll I'll still pretty fridge it out. Yeah, and I'm excited too about the the sandwich um, because you're using black forest venison ham. So well, that was, how, that was how, last how, year. So I got I have. Oh, that was last. It, okay. It, yeah, so, yeah. I I think the this year's sandwiches will vary a little bit um, based on what again availability uh, and what we can get a hold of. We you know we serve that venison. This is a style of a black forest ham uh, where we took a venison leg and cured it and hung it over the hearth and smoked, you know, kind of hay, smoked it for a very long time. Um, this year, I haven't really had any deer land in our lap, so it's been a little tricky. Um, we'll have a couple of good breakfasts, and we're going to do two meat options and one one vegetarian option on, on uh, New Year's Day for people going out to parades and and uh, still kind of getting over the, the night before. <laughs> That's a smart idea. Yeah. <laughs> like a hangover, a hangover brunch. <laughs> Seventh um, celebration. I saw that you were going to be offering a steak tartare that plays off of a steak opera. I'm going to mess mess up the name. <laughs> um, help me out. Poivre. It's it's, it's the drop the vre. So steak opera is a a classic French uh, preparation. Usually it's uh, you know any kind of the more tender cuts like a tenderloin or or ribeye or, or New York strip wine that is like pepper crust. Um, obviously for us, we don't, it's not ideal for us to get in the, you know, the kind of the primal cuts. We try to aim for the, the lost cuts. And so um, we've taken beef heart and cleaned it and ground uh, and it's kind of marinated. And, uh, we season it with a poire sauce, which is a, traditionally is like a kind of a mustardy cream reduction with cognac in it. Um, so we're using that 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 kind of cream reduction to dress the steak tartare, much like you would have like a traditional steak tartare that's dressed with like egg yolk and you know, kind of like a Caesar mayonnaise type of anchovy uh, caper type of dressing. Um, yeah, it's a fun play on that. It sounds absolutely delicious. Now, for our listeners out there, where where they, where can they find you? Do they need to make reservations? I'm assuming that they do because it sounds delicious. And if they go on to your social media, where is it? And like honestly, like your your food does look delicious, and you have grilled octopus that you char too. And I I'm just yeah, yeah. oh I'm so excited for your menu. Cool, cool. Well, we hope to see you in here soon. So uh, we can be found. Uh, on Instagram at Ember and Ash Philly, uh, PHL. 
Um, and then our website is uh, emberandashphilly.com. Uh, reservations are through talk, uh, but there's a link on our website there. Um, reservations are always encouraged. You know, it helps us give a better gauge of, uh, like you said, with the local sourcing and how we bring things in and week to week and sometimes, you know, day to day or every other day things come through the door. Uh, it really helps us hone in and, and know how much we need to prep. And so reservations are always encouraged. However, we do have some room for walk-in um, here and there. Now, can yeah. we also go in and buy some gift cards for our friends and family? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, it's a great way to support small businesses during this time, especially. Yeah, exactly. All right. Well, thank you so much, Scott, for calling in. And we look forward to tasting your menu and celebrating your anniversary. Awesome. Thank you so much. No problem. Thank you. Take care, Scott. Thank you. Let's take a break, and we'll be right back. Tune in to Dining on a Dime to hear from Gene Blum, our chef, educator, consultant, and historian. You can find him across social media at ibfoodie2 or Gene Blum at ibfoodie2 at yahoo.com. And you can also tune in to listen to Amaris Pollock and find her across social media at A-R-P-O-L-L-O-C-K-U-S at gmail.com. And we're back. Amaris Pollock, introduce us to your fabulous guests. Hi, everyone. Welcome to our new segment that we're having once a month. It is Where We're Eating and along with tips for you to bring into your kitchen. Gene, why don't you take us? Take us into uh, your kitchen and give us some tips. Well, as we come upon the new year or the holiday season here, you know, really the, the best tip I could have for anybody that's going to be spending time in the kitchen is to just relax and enjoy it. You know, this evening I'm hosting uh, dinner for a small group here at my home, and it's just been fun got up early this morning. I put on a beef ragu that has been slow cooking since about 7 o'clock in the morning. I made some fresh gnocchi. I put together a little bit of butternut squash ravioli with the last butternut squash that I had out of my garden. And it's just been an enjoyable day. And I'm combining that dinner with homemade lemon cello and homemade orange cello and homemade chocolate cello and a little bit of boil from our last segment. So no matter how the food turns out, no one's going to care how because all going to be drunk off their butt. But, you know, that's just, you know, relax and enjoy and, and spend time with the family. My holiday tip for dining the holiday season is not what's important that you put on the table, but what's important is what you put in the seat. That's really the best. Surround yourself with family. But as we go into that, a couple of recommendations for restaurants really quick. Great little place in Warrington, Bucks County. If you happen to be around Christmas Eve and are looking for a feast of the separate fishes, Alesso. Alesso in Warrington does an amazing feast of the seven fishes. I highly recommend it. We'll be doing it this year. So excited for it. You can go and enjoy. One other cooking tip I learned this week, I had a great, great opportunity to spend a couple hours with 
Italy's probably most famous celebrity chef, uh, Genevieve um, Antonelli, who uh, is a celebrity chef who travels all over the world. She has been here in the States many times. I had an opportunity to spend some time with her and her brother um, and doing a little cooking alongside of them. And I will tell you, one of the things that I learned from them that was truly fabulous is when they did their salt cod. They did a salt cod bruschetta. And on their salt cod, where they not only soaked it in water to get away the salt, but then they soaked it in milk. And it gave it those milk sugars and everything like that. It was absolutely fabulous out of this world. Amherst, tell us a little bit about where you're eating. I have been all over the place. Um, as I cross the bridge and sometimes into Delaware as well, uh, I eat all over the place. So I've recently eaten at The Love in Philadelphia. I hadn't actually eaten there, um, and I know it's been open for a while, but I pass by it all the time, and I'm like, I, every time I go by it, I'm like, I definitely want to eat there. So I had the opportunity um, to get together with a friend, an old friend. And so we went to the love and it was fantastic. I don't know why it took me so long to actually go there. Um, but they, you know, they plied us with, um, tuna crudo, you know, which was fantastic. There were so many elements to the dish, like, and it's just, that's just a starter, but it was, you know, it had like spicy because there was a little bit of, um, kimchi in there. It had uh, savory because it had like the rice, it, it was rice paper kind of crisps that were, you know, had sesame seeds all over it. So it had, you know, the the nutty flavor with the crisp. So, and then you had the tuna, which, you know, was just cut. So it was nice, rich and butter, like it buttery, like to, to bite into. Um, and it had a salty factor because there was a little bit of, I think, tamarind in there. Um, it's overall, it was just so well balanced and so delicious. And that was just a starter dish. Um, I then, because I have a flair for liking, you know, ethnic dishes, I had a red curry salmon dish with, um, risotto and I could not get enough of it. I mean, <laughs> I'm a huge fan of curry. So, you know, you'll, uh, you'll honestly see me, you know, going to Thai places and Indian restaurants and anywhere that I can, you know, get something that has a curry um, dish like available. So as soon as I saw the the red curry, uh, coconut curry, sorry, uh, salmon dish, it was like, I was like, ah, and done. Um, and it was well executed. It was absolutely delicious. The salmon was, you know, what was a little bit overcooked. I'm not going to like lie, but it was, you know, I think because of the amount of people and because of, you know, rules, they had to, to not cook it. The medium, the medium rare kind of, you know, undercooked like level that, that I love. Um, and then we had shared two different desserts, which was amazing. One, one was very interesting. It was, um, Basically, it tasted like a cup of tea, like, but you're biting into it because it was ice cream. So it was like a lavender, old, if I remember correctly, a lavender Earl Grey kind of ice cream, 
and then it was on it had honey um honey toffee crumbles so it kind of imitated a honeycomb and then it was on top of a lemon shortbread cookie so it was literally like biting into a cup of tea which was very interesting and it's not your atypical dessert um but likewise, we also went after <laughs> the bread pudding with an eggnog ice cream, um, which was absolutely outstanding. You know, dig in. I want more of it. Um, so I, I had a very pleasurable experience um, while I was there at the Love. <laughs> so my my tip is kind of a funny haha that I got off of, uh, you know, throwback to social media that I got from a social media, which is if you want, if you want to save money <laughs> for shopping for Christmas, stay at home, have three margaritas, and then you can't go shopping, <laughs> which is kind of funny. Um, but no, uh, a cooking tip. I always cook with alcohol. Um, it tenderizes your meat. Like, so it's, you know, fall off the bone with a lot of flavor. So I recently cooked um, a chicken, a whole chicken, and I it's simple. It was just a whole chicken with a bunch of spices um, that, you know, were kind of like steak, steak house spices. So it was, you know, your, your peppers and salt, you know, with a little bit of uh, garlic and, and whatnot. And then butter, like you always, for me, you always butter the top, butter, um, you know, in between the skin and the, the meat itself, like get your hands really in there. And then I just poured some, some yingling at the bottom and cooked it in the oven and it came out and it was super tender, super juicy and, you know, absolutely like delicious. Like I want more of it right now. <laughs> um, so I guess my cooking, my biggest cooking tip would be cook with alcohol because it makes everything taste so much better. Well, to steal a great quote from one of the absolute greatest chefs of all time, which would be, you know, Julia Child, I cook with wine, I cook with wine, I cook with wine. Sometimes I'll even put it in the food. <laughs> I mean, that's appropriate. <laughs> that's, you know, I've, I've definitely been known for when I cook with wine, opening a bottle and it's, you know, some for me, some for the dish. <laughs> so that, that works too. Um, now, off of that, um, I want to ask Eugene, what are you going to be serving with your Christmas, your dinner tonight, actually? So, uh, we have a, a little diverse group of individuals tonight coming. So, I actually have um, a bottle of Johnny Blue for one of the guests that will be opening. Um, he likes uh, scotches and, and whiskeys and bourbons. So, you know, Johnny Blue is something he wouldn't normally get for himself, possibly. So I happen to have a bottle here. We're going to open up that. Um, I have a wonderful candy cane martini as a specialty drink this evening that I'm doing. And then I have a couple wines selected. I have a wonderful uh, champagne selected as well. And we're really going to be doing a lot of the uh, homemade lemon cello that I made, a little bit of the orange cello that I made. We're going to be doing the chocolate cello. Um, I have a wonderful bruschetta that I put together today with some fresh mozzarella that I'm going to be serving a basil cello with. It is just absolutely to die for. 
um, you know, a couple little things like that, nothing complicated, but, you know, just enjoy the holiday season. Uh, have a wonderful homemade tiramisu from an incredible Italian uh, mother who is attending the event tonight. So very excited for that. I'm excited for that too. I will maybe hunt you down and have some. <laughs> um, all right. Hey, everyone, thank you for tuning in. If you're tuning in to our drive time radio, have a nice Tuesday. Enjoy your drive time. Get home safely. You can find us on phillyrestaurantreviews.com, and you can find me on AR Politics. Or if you would like to email me and be a sponsor of our show, you can email me at arpolitics at gmail.com. You can find me at gblop or ibfoodie2, or you can email me directly at ibfoodie2 at yahoo.com. That's I-B-F-O-O-D-I-E, the number two, at yahoo.com. Have a great Christmas, a great holiday, everyone. Be safe, enjoy, overindulge, make it about family. Life's too short. Have another glass of wine. Thank you.